Hi, and welcome to another Mailbag of Holding, the podcast series where three Dungeon Masters sit down and answer questions submitted by the listeners of this podcast channel, no matter what they are. I'm Terry, and with me is Dan and Adam, and today we're going to take another 20 questions from you, the listeners. So just as a refresher for you for you guys, here are the rules. So we have three D20 tables that Adam has put together for us, and each table is made up of 20 questions. Uh, these come from our Instagram, Facebook, YouTube comments, and our subreddit at r slash it's a mimic. We roll initiative at the beginning of the episode to determine the order of who has to roll on which D20 table. We can choose whichever table we'd like each time, but we all have to answer the question that comes up unless it's pointed directly at a specific host. So the episode lasts as long as it takes to ask 20 of the 60 questions and we'll re-roll if we land on the same question twice. Any questions we don't answer get rolled over into the next mailbag uh, so there's always more to come. Okay, so are we ready to get started? I guess so, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Did I do that right, Dad? As far as I'm aware, I'm a yeah. bit out of practice. <laughs> it's been a while since we've all been in the same room with oh, each other. It's, so, been, yeah. it's been a while since I've been this close to anybody. <laughs> I don't know how to act anymore. I feel sorry for your girlfriend. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I make her sit in another room. Um, well, who would like to go first? Um, Dan, on my left? Well, let's roll well, initiative. Let's roll initiative, initiative. I can't even remember how we decide who goes first. We play this game. It's called Dungeons and Dragons, and which involves rolling Man. dice. All right. Well, Dan's first, and then we'll go. Were you black? Uh, no, I was white. No, I rolled I'm a seven. First. Oh, you're I'm black. Going first. Yeah, uh, yeah. But I will roll that black die again. I think. So I got twelve on the black uh, table. A twelve. Spidey Rich asks, "I've been in love with the idea of Cord as a deity for a long time. Who in D and D is your favorite deity in general, and who do you choose when making a character?" Now, Cord was the god of war in Greyhawk. Is uh, that right? No, he's the god of strength uh, and thunder. That's why I thought it was it was war, either that or he he was the god of battle, but he was more of a like, uh, like battle through glory yeah, okay. god rather than like so, I like to fight and kill things god. So the Klingon concept of battle. yes, yeah, very much right. so. Yeah. Anyway. Terry, it was, it was yours. For a favorite deity, I don't really have any that I, I like. It's like I don't have a favorite one, really. But I guess I do. I, for a deity type thing, I would lean... I like the Raven Queen. Fuck it. I'm yeah. trying to think of another one. But that's just right up my alley. It's uh, dark, mysterious, kind of like, what do you want from me? Why are you never there? And then you are. And I, I'm not... like I'm kind of over the big lightning gods and i don't like the ugly gods well funny enough like i'm i feel the same way about the quote-unquote edgy gods which the raven queen like waves that flag really what hard. else was mine going to be i i i don't know i mean you could have had the you could have had the elf god corlon lorethian you could have had nah. uh Bokob for a no no, no. it's terry though it's oh, gonna yeah. be tiamat or lol yeah, Team Adderlothi would have been good mm-hmm. there, too. Yeah, it has to be an evil woman character. Sure. Like, that's what it is yeah, for Terry. That's yeah, a, yeah what else, who else am I going to praise uh, or Dan, worship? Dan, what do you got? Groomsh? Um, like, I, I mean, I traditionally, I do like using Groomsh for my orc characters, but I, I can't justify just the evilness of him anymore, and I don't like playing evil characters. So if, if I'm choosing a god right now, it's probably going to be Bahamut. Um mm. Or it's going to be uh, um, Garl Glittergold. Because, I, I mean, I play oh, a lot of gnomes. Right off. No, okay, so what about you, Adam? Got question one, and Dan whips out his gnome. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, well, it's you, about our gods, right? It's about the objects and 
deities we worship more than anything else. Of course, we worship I my gnome. bet you worship that thing. Yeah, yeah. About six to five times, six to eight times a day, Dan? Oh, hey, I'm not 12 anymore. Come on. <laughs> anyway, yikes. No, um, it's like a car battery. If you run it all the way down, it doesn't hold the charge properly anymore. Yeah, so right? You yeah, shouldn't do it yeah. that often. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Adam? Well, then, uh, my answer would be, honestly, I like the Dark Six from Eberron. I don't okay. know. It's it's a the subsection of a pantheon, but there are six evil gods, and the Eberron book doesn't really jump into the lore too much. But they're all weird and interesting, and the Eberron lore for three point five is really cool. I specifically like the Traveler. He's a he sits outside of the realm of of the rest of the evil gods and kind yep. of does his own weird thing. So I like it. anything that's a trickster god. Yeah, I'm happy with. Sure. Cool. Um, I guess that means it's your turn. Yeah, I'm going to go red table. Uh, Ten. Uh, Roll underscore or underscore dice from Reddit asks, Dave, what's your favorite monster and why? Uh, Well, we don't really have Dave here. All right. Well, thanks for asking the question. Uh, You know, this is a really difficult one because, I mean, you guys know I love Eberron. So you'd think I would pick something like... The Dalkir, I mean, Belashira is crazy. Dern, of course. Uh, Dolgaunts, Dolgrims, uh, you know, the, the Overlords, Quarry. Like, there's so many good things to choose from in Eberron. Uh, and, I mean, even the regular standard uh, Monster Manual has some great stuff in it. Like, the Zorn, I've really come to like those lately. Uh, the Roper with their 50-foot reach. That's crazy, right? Uh, moving on to, like, Theros. I love the idea of the Tromocratus. The Kraken is such a good set piece, but I really, I think I'm going to have to go with the Tromocratus. Not only is it really fun to just say Tromocratus, but the Tromocratus is like, takes what is a Kraken and just makes it look so much more. Like, it's just, it's, I don't, I don't know what it is. There's just something about it. Maybe it's just that I really like saying Tromocratus. Uh, the Tromocratus is really big and it's one of these set piece uh encounters that like you're going to build towards this for months and months and months and finally get to fighting this thing it is so big and so bad that like you know you have to be that like high fourth tier party in order to even think about going over to see this uh it's just it's crazy powerful and my favorite monsters i mean i love some of the mobs. I love some of the little guys. Uh, I really like some of like the mid-tier 2, tier 3 standalone monsters that can hold their own. But I really like these big set-piece fights. Uh, when you go up against your demon lords. When you go up against, like I just said, the Dalkir. Uh, but again, probably the Tromocratus. Because you're going to be... Uh, probably nautically themed. You're not necessarily going to be on land, which just adds another element to it, right? Uh, it's going to take your guys out of their element, uh, potentially, not necessarily, but it's going to make them have to think a little bit more. It's going to have to make them, you know, think outside the box a little bit more. And as a DM, the my, one of my favorite things is watching my players get fancy with it. You know, like you see them get a little... Uh, see them think a little bit differently than they normally would because these big set piece monsters like the Tromocratus are just so much more. Thanks, Dave. I wholeheartedly agree. Sure. Oh, yeah, yeah. My turn. Um, I'm going to go with the black one. 
Black one. number one. Ooh. It's Pepperina question, guys. Oh, All right, hold on. Buckle, buckle up. Buckle up. <laughs> what is your favorite kind of shot? Shot? Like scatter shot? Like buck shot? I, I, I think she means alcohol. Ah, uh, see, my brain went one shot right away. Yeah, I, I went like, I, 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 I like a three shot. shot. Yeah, exactly. Like, right? Just long enough to like really feel out a character and complete a character arc. Uh, you answer, you answer first? Well, yeah, yeah. Well, that, uh, I'm not a big drinker. That's the thing, right? Like, I, I'm i not the guy who goes to the bar and does shots. Like, it's never really nobody, been Nobody functional over the age of 30 does anyway, because we figured out that it's better to be not hungover than drunk. So. Yes, right? So, I will say my favorite... Oh, shit, we did? <laughs> my favorite mixed drink is an old-fashioned. Oh, good choice, Dan. So... Sophistication. Uh, yeah. Uh, what about you guys? Uh, my favorite shot is um, I like tequila, but I like um, oh fuck! But tequila. I don't no 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 Jesus. I don't like back out of a, day, out of I a wasn't navel like I wasn't like tequila out of a navel. Say back in the day, yes. <laughs> but I was never I never used to be into tequila when I was younger, like being a bar star. But now that I'm older, I appreciate when people have knowledge on spirits and they kind of have an understanding. And so they give you like the good tequila that mm-hmm. they got from wherever. Yeah. And then even if it's still shooting Is there good it, tequila? Fuck. Uh, tequila just makes I'm me want to fight I'm having PTSD flashbacks right I feel right like now. I just, like I came good. back because tequila, I never was, you know, everybody has that drink that almost killed them and now you can't even smell it. Otherwise you want to throw up. Yeah. Yeah. One. Mine's one. Sandwich, yeah, just, just a one. Yeah, yeah. Right. But I never had that with tequila because I wasn't rocking tequila as a bar star. So now as I'm older, I can appreciate it when somebody like starts to show off their knowledge about them. Cool. Uh, my answer is my favorite shot is the Rocky Mountain Bear Fucker, which what? is which is one third whiskey, one third tequila, one third one fifty one. Okay, well that Ooh. sounds. Oh yeah, it, the flavor. Or why? Why is that your favorite? Oh, no, not the flavor. You shoot four of them in a row and wake up on Thursday. <laughs> <laughs> That's what drinking you is say, for. Right? You say good night as soon as you finish. Yeah. Well, good night, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, Terry, you're next, man. Oh, it's back to me. Okay, I'll go. Uh, I'll go. Uh, I'll go white table. It's in front of me. 20. Ooh, natural 20. On the white table. Um, M.V.Willems M. says, <laughs> uh, In a few sessions, I want to run a collapsing tower scene while the dragon chases my heroes out of the wizard's tower. How best should I execute that? This would also be their first meeting of my BBEG. How best to do it? I would say, right off, I would say, first of all, don't force the situation. It sounds like you've already decided that the tower is going to collapse and the dragon's going to chase them before that situation. And you can kind of railroad people into that a little bit, but remember, that's kind of the end destination you're trying to go. So don't manipulate them for six hours just to get there. Yeah, if someone casts fly and goes out the window, then yeah, they've ca- then they've cast fly and they've gone out the window, and it's yeah. their it's their ability to use to do that. So whatever happens, whatever the players do, you can still have that tower collapsing. But remember. Um, allow them the agency that they it n- will not necessarily be coming down on top of them. It may be in front of them, around them, depending on what they do. Um, that would be my biggest piece of advice. I won't give you anything mechanically other than uh, don't railroad people into that situation just because you want it to happen. Dan, do you have an answer? Um, uh, have a countdown in terms of rounds. So a pre-established countdown in rounds once the encounter begins. Um, so like at round two, this effect happens. Round four, this effect happens. Round uh, six, this effect happens until, you know, round 12, your party is dead, right? Like they did not get out fast enough or whatever that is, right? Um, And try to stick to that as much as you can. I mean, if your party 
straight up pulls a rabbit out of a hat and takes a hard left and you don't expect it and they solve it, well, there goes all your prep. Um, but understand that knowing the rough idea of where you're going to be going will help you be reactionary to the changes. Right. So um, I'm going to simplify it a little bit even beyond that because at that point you're counting squares and movement and all that shit. And Oh, no, and, I'd go theater of the mind for sure for it. Right, okay, but the monk is going to get out, no problem. And the rogue who can dash his bonus action is fine, but the dwarven cleric is fucked, <laughs> right? Like, So what I would do is I would just have a skill challenge. Just run a skill challenge. Yeah. Say, I need um, eight successes uh, before you guys get five failures and start rolling dice. Depending on how late in the campaign it is, I would make it harder or harder so that only one or two of them will escape. And maybe each person is rolling their own skill challenge around the table to see how they get out specifically. Would you limit them in the skill, based on where they are in the tower and what the situation is, limit them in the skills they can use? Like, this is a situation where you can use dex, acrobatics, or nature. So no, not necessarily. I, I would I would have it so that I mean sometimes I do that. Sometimes I say it's only the skills you're proficient in. Right. Right. But then I'm just rewarding bards and rogues, especially in a long yeah. situation. So I would say just don't use the same skill twice. Right. If you can justify how it would benefit you, if you say, I'm gonna roll Arcana to escape because I'm looking for runes that would give me an idea that I would for what direction I would go in, or there's uh the Magical flames are flickering in in a direction that's counter to the wind, so right. I would be able to pick that up. Sure. I'll give that to you if you can tell me why, but then you have to roll with it, and you're up to your own modifier from there and your dice roll. So Yeah. Awesome. Uh, Adam. Adam. Oh, that's on me. I'm going to roll. I'm going to roll on the white table, too. Okay. 16, Terry. 16. Uh, Roller Dice from Reddit asks... Can we get more episodes about Friends that Adam did because a lot of books came out since the last one? I think he means fiends. Oh, yeah. Oh. <laughs> that was like, like the TV Adam, show. Adam, how many friends have you done since the last book? Oh, uh, the one at where... Least, at least three. God. Um, it bothers me because you only so have slow. been hanging out with me I was so slow. I was staring at my sheet and then Dan went, oh, God. And I was like, what is oh, God? I missed it. <laughs> um, Brilliant. No, it's... Uh, yeah, sure. I, I I can do another fiend episode. It's only there's only been what the fiendish folios come out, and that didn't have many fiends in it. But there's been not well. I mean, there's been Ravnica and Theros and Eberron. They all have fiends. In them. Well, there's also been like the adventure paths. Like there's there's probably a fiend or two in Icewind Dale and and stuff like that. that yeah. We all right. Really well, we'll take a look when we have capacity. Don't yeah. hold your breath. We'll we'll dive into that again. Yeah. Who wrote these out, by the way? Because this does say friends, and now I sound like an idiot on the internet. No, no, no. no, no. Oh, he just straight up copy-pasted. So that is yeah, a I, typo from the user. Oh, roll oh, yeah, our yeah. dice then. Yeah. So. All right. I am going to... You know what? Three for three. Let's go white table again. A three. Uh, white three. Pepperina. Sparkle Jam. Oh, gosh. Asks, well, Terry, what made you want to be the champion of noobs? Uh, yeah. In a previous life, I was the champion of noobs. Uh... I think uh, I think m- me observing nerd culture, which I was newish to, it was only a couple of years in at that time. Uh, I realized that it is, and you may agree with this, can be very aggressive at times. And there Fuck can you, be no, it can't. A lot of opinions out there, and you know, considering that nerds are typically like, no, I was glad to have people in the hobby and come around to Danford. They're very fucking aggressive with people. Okay, they're not very inviting. And I, I realized this, and I thought, if I can. Um, kind of give people an easier introduction be a little bit laid back make jokes make fun of the people who are making fun of other people maybe we can uh 
just give it a little bit of an easier intro for some newer people. And so I did it like that originally. Yeah. Uh, and then I didn't want to do it anymore. You know, in defense of these adversarial nerds that you're talking about. Yeah. I will say... I, I because s- we tend to beat them. No, <laughs> Sometimes. we're not. We're not. Sometimes a little Sometimes bit. a little bit, right? Like, but, our Discord, we get we get straight up at each other's throats about, like, look, look, Jurassic only, Park. The like, only truly adversarial people that sit at this podcast are Dave, who goes after his players to kill them, and Brad, who just tries to piss me off. <laughs> <laughs> Megan is perfect, though, right? Yeah, yeah, no, just, yeah. Megan no, is utterly cool. perfect yeah. in okay, every way. Right, true. Is, yeah. Okay, no, no, but but in defense of of the nerd culture, I think the problem is that there's this idea that there's a right way to do shit and a wrong way to do shit, right? Right. And so when new people show up and there's a wrong way and start doing things, quote unquote, wrong, everyone who's experienced goes, no, 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 you can't do it that way. And there's a level of frustration, especially in D&D, which has 10 billion rules. And a, and a thousand source books and, and PDFs and shit. Are you using the UA? Well, it says in 4th edition that by lore, it, and then, of course, whatever homebrew shit. Yeah. Right? So with all of these things that are constantly changing, it's hard for new people to come in and grasp it quickly. Yeah. Which is why I think it's so good that there are people that come in and say, okay, you know what, guys, everybody calm down. Tone your shit back a little bit. And remember, it's supposed to be for fun. Yeah. We're working together. We're friends. Well, it, it's things like... Around this table, we've agreed, like, there are some aspects of 4th edition that we would keep, but it was a generally, um, it was generally a failure when it came to D&D uh, systems, right? It would have been a great video game. It would have been a great video game, would have been a great MMO, it would have been, like, there's a lot of, there was a lot of success with it, but one of the recent things that I've seen pop up was uh, people talking about 4E with, like, a sense of... Um, Golden clouded nostalgia. Golden clouded. Yeah. You mean rose colored glasses? Well, not rose colored glasses. It was it was beyond that. Like that four E was the paragon of what D and D could be. And like, I, that's where my nerd rage was like, hey, oh, hold up, maybe not. But you're completely right, Adam. I mean, who am I other than a person who spouts his opinions off on the internet? Um, who am I to? You're, oddly enough, you're not the only person that does that in the world. So right? It's quite I've, I've heard of a couple of others, <laughs> namely Brad and Dave. Yeah, right. <laughs> but I mean, do D and D the way you want to do D and D, and and if look, you want to play Fourth Edition, play Fourth Edition. I love that I sat there and said, "Hey, we shall get along." And your takeaway is Fourth Edition. Fuck Fourth. <laughs> yeah, he said. What well, did you say, like, no, it's just a thing that's popped up online recently. Well, the, we have this overlap of let's stick with D and D. Rules as written, rule of cool, overlapped with interpretation, overlapped with personal preference of addition. And all of these things are circulating all the time. And that's why people uh, get aggressive with something that's just supposed to be a game in the end, people. Yeah. You want to know what I hear more shit about than anything else is our Druids episode. Really? Well, we haven't done... Look, all of the classes, some of them have already had three episodes. Druids only ever got the one because we don't fucking like Druids. And when we recorded it, we shat on them. We went horrible. <laughs> these hippie motherfuckers. And we went off about druids for like an entire episode. And we never revisited them. We're going to do that again soon, right? We're, we are circling back around. But I still hear about it because all these people, you don't understand druids. Druids are my favorites. It's really the first thing that you um, are exposed to, your own personal preference. And I mean, that's what these fourth edition people are. Yeah. Right? yeah. Like they came in on 4th edition, learned to love this mechanic, and then moved on to 5th edition, which even frees it up uh, more than that, right? But for those of us that came from editions before 4th, we're like, what is this lore bullshit you've done? You've added nothing good except to the Raven Queen, because mm-hmm. she's from 4th ed, Terry. Right. 
So now you can go stalk her on Instagram. You know where she's from. Brilliant. <laughs> All uh, right. All right. It's your turn there, Terry. It is? Okay. I rolled the question directed at you. So, yes, it's your turn. Okay. Uh, okay. I'll do a red table. Sure. And I got a six. Uh, Avatar Idalia asks, how would you incorporate the Borg from Star Trek in a D&D monster? Oof. What kind of v- vague question? How would I incorporate the Borg from Star Trek into a D&D monster? Be nice to uh, her. She, she makes us cake. Okay. 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 <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, uh, well, no, well, so well, well actually, hold up. Hold up. Hold up. She made us cake two years ago. I want another one. Oh, there's been promises made. Dave. Okay. Okay. I'm cool. I'm working on it. Don't worry. I mean, she made us a great poster too, but yeah. Yeah. Oh, it is good. Um, that's okay. I would, I'm going to go with the idea of the Borg over than just, over than just trying to get the actual Borg into D and D, you know, maybe in Spelljammer or something. Um, yeah. Art- artificers and spaceships. There we go. Right. Like yeah. A, I think but... the idea of the Borg in D and D is going to be better put across in something like, Using like we'll just go like Game of Thrones, think like whites and like the Army of the Dead and that kind of collective mind is what I'd focus on for the idea of the Borg over the concept of just trying to put technology into a fantasy landscape. Uh, um, I think you're completely correct. I the best way, in my opinion, to get Borg into D and D is Mike and it's. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Wow, you guys took an interesting turn on that. I would have said or Modrons, Mind Flayers. Well, that's what I like, thought at like first. Obviously, but... with the hive mind. And the fact that they literally infect you with little slugs and then they warp you over seven days to become physically one of them and you have a basic understanding of what your life used to be. Yeah. Right? And then that's that's it. Yeah, that does seem like the obvious way to go. And they showed up on spaceships. <laughs> and then laser guns. So I don't know. Thematically the I, I would say mind flares. Yeah, and probably just easier to execute as well. Anything with a hive mind you can make work. Whose turn? Does that me now? Yeah. I'm going to go on the black table. I don't sure. Black table. Nine. Number nine. Uh, so uh, this one's from Alexander, another Skip Davis, uh, who asks, Adam, who yep. is your favorite gaming celebrities? I don't give a fuck about that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad I didn't get that question. It's like the perfect person give a the shit who plays this game. I care that I play this game. <laughs> like, uh, okay. F- all right. Let me address this once and for all. Critical Role is great for what it does for the hobby. It is not how I run D&D. I like Matt Mercer and what he says is smart. I'm not in for wacky voices and and craziness. Um, I love that he published a couple of books and that there's more source material. I really like his weird take on monsters. And I think he's really good at world building and lore. But I don't give a shit about Critical Role. Mm-hmm. Acquisitions Incorporated was fantastic back when 5th edition came out. And it's still, I think, running strong. My brother, my brother and me is... Is a good podcast as as well. And yeah, what well, my brother, my brother and me did uh, The Adventure Zone. Right, yeah. and so that one's really popular. And I've listened to some of it. They're funny guys. Um, what is the, uh, is it Bombardment? Uh, there's Bombardment, there's Dimension 20, there's a bunch well, of Well, Bombardment things. is the one where they're all a bunch of musicians, and at the end of every episode, they make a song based on what just happened. Right. And stuff. So there's some good D&D stuff out there. But are they celebrities, or are they just D&D players that we all kind of know because we're in the hobby? Well, or are I, we talking like... Yeah, do they need to Are be... Are we talking to Matt Covills and Jim Do they need to be Jim celebrities and, from other mediums that we're... we're yeah, that we're, that are we are, talking Joe Manganiello? Are we talking yeah. Deborah Ann Wool or uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt or... 
Who else? Uh, Matthew Lillard is one of them. I think yeah. the Big Show. Um, Christopher Lee. Lee. Big, yeah, Big Show, Christopher Lee. Um, there, oh, shit, there's a ton. Uh, like uh, Tom Morello from Rage Against the Machine. Really? Vince Vaughn. They're uh, all mad. I, I don't think I'd want to play in his group. Because he would be the person where, like, there'd be some awful thing going, and this orc warband goes by, and they've got slaves. We have to help them! No, Tom, fuck. We don't have time for this. They're not real, okay? It's not real, okay? We can't be making political change. You know that he is going to be a rogue that is stabbing the artificer just because he will rage against the... All right, I'm moving on then. Well, now I can't truncate silence on this one because I need those pauses. (laughs) You're welcome. I guess it's my turn, hey? All right, so I am going to roll on the... Well, I'll roll on the black table. Number 11, already been rolled. A 17 on the black table. Hex DM says, tell us the last time you made someone cry in a game. I straight up, I don't think I've made anyone cry in a game of my D, like that I've run ever. You pissed me off close enough. I almost had cried tears of rage. Oh, how? All right. So if you go back and listen to episode eight of Deep Dark of Radiance, you will hear me rage. <laughs> rage in that. No, I think the one that I got mad at was when we were getting chased. And I threw the dynamite behind me. And I super succeeded on like three different rolls. And I was just kicking ass and took fucking damage anyway. It's still dynamite what are you expecting no one else took damage and i was the furthest one away you dingus <laughs> <laughs> but yeah I, I i as terry often makes a point to mention i i tend to run a fairly um nice game of dnd like i'm not i'm not <laughs> running a i'm not running a game of dnd to well you like, like the make big people... heroes that win the, yeah. the game right, it's like right? fucking blues clues your game <laughs> uh, not it's not quite blues i mean some of them like this are dumb enough they might blues clues it's, might it's, be it's more door of the explorer like, yeah. find on the map where is the castle <laughs> where is the macguffin it's like flashing in the tree yep um <laughs> uh, but oh yeah uh, the I, goblin rogue's name is swiper <laughs> <laughs> What about you, Adam? What was the last person you made to cry at a table? Oh, fuck. I stopped keeping track. <laughs> I think I've reduced both of you to near tears at least once. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah you got yeah. me going with the uh, death of Kogu. Yeah. 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 And Mershi. Yeah. 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 I know that I got Jamie, although that might have been through rage, at least once. Um, <sighs> Megan, I don't think ever did. I'm trying you to made think. Jess cry. I remember you making Jess cry. I made Jess cry. I made... Um, Charlie got all freaking choked up in the last session that we did uh, when his um, long dead little sister who died at the age of four, her ghost showed up when he became the angel of death and carried him off into the afterlife. Oh God. Like there, like there was, there's been some, some emotional points. You made, you, you did actually make uh, Megan cry when you killed Terry. Oh yeah, she was so fucking upset. She was upset about that. Did to be Megan, fair, did Megan cry when I she died? I don't know if, if she's capable of tears, but but it. maybe. Um but I didn't kill Terry. Terry, Terry killed, killed Terry. Terry. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Well, to be fair, Terry descended a rope and the rest of you abandoned him and everyone else killed Terry. I was actually just trying to reunite the party, really. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna chalk that up to neglect on everyone else's part. Me as well. Alright. Alright, what is that to me? Did somebody cry, Terry? i I don't think I've ever made somebody cry. Try harder. A table. Yeah, I know I should. So I, I don't think I've ever made anybody cry, but I have been brought close to tears. And when you think back, it's like, man, that's kind of embarrassing. But when you're in, in it, 
it speaks to a good game, right? If that's happened to you. But I've never made anybody cry. Do you think I should? Is it like a rite of passage? I wouldn't say it's a rite of passage. I would say it's, it's a weekly goal. <laughs> good lord. <laughs> Whose turn is it? Uh, that was me that rolled that one. So back to me. and then Okay, I'm going to roll on the black table here, Dan. I got 13. A 13. Yeah. Super... I can't freaking read. Superfluous Dearth. Glad you got that one. From Reddit says, I'm starting a new D&D campaign that I plan to run from level 5 mm-hmm. to level 20. And I want to use Mind Flayers as my big bad evil guys. Any tips on what to do with them? It'll be my first campaign and I want the game to be as intriguing as possible. Thanks. So... Terry, a 5 to 20 campaign based around Mind Flayers. Fortunately, there's an upcoming episode about uh, <laughs> Mind Flayers and Illithids. So, um, but what I would say is because this is such a hugely powerful enemy and it can be very difficult to have them in a campaign long term if the, the goal of the party um, for the story arc is just to kill them or try and take over because it's, it's almost impossible to do that. They're very difficult. So... I won't tell you in this episode all of my tips for how to do this because you're going to find this in another episode. But what I would say is just think outside of the box in what the party can do uh, with interacting with Mind Flayers. Why there may be a reason why they can continue to encounter them and it doesn't have to always be aggressive. Maybe uh, because it works on the side of the Mind Flayers uh, and their agenda. Um, find ways that you can move them through the the Mind Flayer society uh, without them always feeling the need to engage in combat. Mm-hmm. I know that was very vague, but what I'm saying is ultimately find different ways why the party can stay in that community um, without it being combat related. Adam, you got any tips for a Mind Flayer campaign? Yes. So Mind Flayers, one of the interesting things that's lost in the lore in Volos, and it's not present in the Monster Manual or in any of the other stat blocks, is the fact that they're really weird schemers. And they will try things and experiments uh, in ways that uh, other people might think are bizarre or strange. For example, it says in the book that uh, they will experiment with music to see if there's some sort of tonal shift or frequency that might be able to help subjugate or control or even brainwash a populace. Hmm. So there will be one mind flayer in the colony that will be focusing 100% on that. And of course... Because they're linked to the Elder Brain, and the Elder Brain is linked to everyone else, everyone gains this knowledge at the same time. So all of these different Mind Flayers, while they're sharing knowledge, they're all doing their own weird experimentations to find out how to A, subjugate the masses, B, solidify their their food supply, C, destroy the fucking Gith, um, or uh, D, get their spaceships up and running again. Right, so everything they're doing is going to be down an avenue to do that. And sometimes subjugating the enemy can just be burning a couple of fields of crops before the winter, right. kicking in a famine, weaken their stronghold, and then we can start to pick off them, uh, pick them off when they're weak. Yeah. Right, so it's that level of thinking ahead, like we will kick up a famine so that we will have something to eat in six months. That's a mind flayer thing to do. You're not going to get that out of a dragon or a lich or a beholder or a matron mother for the drought. Nobody else really operates on that scale in D&D, so mind players are great for that shit. Cool. Dan? Honestly, um, I you both gave really good uh, tips there, but I would go from a more mechanical frame of mind. Be very, very careful. These things, in my opinion, are under CR'd. Um, you will throw a CR7 
uh, Mind Flare at something uh, relatively low level, and it takes one save for you to straight up have a dead character. One failed intelligence save at that for a straight up dead character. So be incredibly careful when you're dealing with Mind Flayers, Intellect Devourers, and the like. Um, they are going to destroy your party. They are vastly under CR'd, especially if you're going with like the Scions and everything else, like those optional full spellcaster rules. Man, like that's going to run away from you real quick. So remember that they are slavers. They are subjugators. They do brainwash the masses. So your first examples, your first combats for a Mind Flayer-focused campaign should not be against Mind Flayers. They should be against thralls. They thralls. have so many thralls, yeah. right? I'm going to roll on the red table. So I can ask myself a question. Red 13. That was right after black 13. It's uh, a good character in uh, Final Fantasy VII. But not as good as Fuck Off It's a Throwaway from Reddit. <laughs> I love uh, that. Fuck Off It's a Throwaway from Reddit asks, So... That's brilliant. That's, that's great. <laughs> in one of the campaigns I'm playing... In, I play a slightly homebrewed Archfiend Tiefling Warlock, allowing her to be a direct child of Archduke Fierna, who is her patron and keeps herself disguised at all times to keep any suspicion further off her, including from the rest of the party. Our big bad evil guys are demons, and the whole devil versus demon angle is why she's working with the party. Any tips or ideas for me and my DM to work in for long-term plans that my patron might have for her, or playing my extremely secretive tiefling. Sure, that was a lot to unpack. Whoa. <laughs> All right. Okay, so you are playing a tiefling that is the direct descendant of Fierna. Is a, is the child of an archduke of hell, and the blood war is a major factor here. Mm -hmm. The demons are the bad guys. How do you and your DM slowly inject that lore and that into the campaign for your party? No, I'm going to have thoughts about this for the next three days as I keep thinking about it. Um, uh, get little missives that smell of sulfur as a way. Like you get uh, little devilish imps or something delivering little scraps of paper or uh, whatnot. And that's how you get your direction from your, uh, from your parent, I guess. Yeah, I mean, uh, okay. I'm, I'm going to go big picture with the plot on this. Um, you do not become an Archduke of Hell, of the Nine Hells, by being dumb. You do it by being smart. You can be a dumb demon lord, but you can't be a dumb Archduke. So I'm going to say that there's got to be wheels within wheels going on in the scheming of this. Um, Asmodeus is going to know that all of the other Archdukes are constantly scheming, but he's still two or three steps ahead. So Fierna needs to be about as smart as your average DM as far as being able to see the overarching plot and and, uh, and set things up to the best of her ability. But remember, she's not um, infallible. So I would say that I would set it up with a grand scheme where she is sending you off to do task after task after task. And then she's got to, and this is the note for the DM, she should be putting uh, putting the player up against some sort of morally ambiguous decision or hey i need you to go get rid of these followers of uh, bahamut for me or we need to go wipe out um the demogorgon cult and then you find out that it's they got a bunch of kids or something there right. too. like do you do this you're working for hell so do hellish things and see what happens 
Um, I would slowly tempt this player down into the corruption. Right. Um, every single NPC that they're going to take an interest in is going to be an imp or a uh, succubus or incubus in disguise. Like, there's going to be these consistent pull the rug out from underneath. We're always evil. Everyone who, even if they seem nice, is not actually nice. When the more you dig into it, the more you realize that everybody embodies a different sin, for example, right? So I would really be thinking about the evil side of how would a archduke try to impose their dominion upon small-scale material plane happenings, right? Um, so I really like the idea of, of coming up with impossible tasks with horrible punishments and having other devils just always around. Uh, you, hey, you have a bodyguard, and it is a bearded devil, and he's going to sit there with a pike, and he's just going to hang out, and he's going to be essentially a wharf character, right? And he's going to just hang out beside you, and he's going to be your bodyguard. But if you ever go off mission, he will put that pike in the middle of your chest and say, get back on fucking mission. Hmm. Yeah. So he's not just a bodyguard. He is a guard. I would also, uh, if I was to run this campaign, depending on if you are an evil character or not, I'm assuming you are. Depend because your lineage, you are you are too close to an archduke of the nine hells to not be evil, right? Or sorry, yeah, you're too close to not be evil. So uh, if you're an evil character, there's always that plotting amongst the archdukes themselves as well. They hate each other all the way through. So um, I would almost have uh, your um, Fierna. Uh, Battling against Mammon, who is the Archduke of the third level of Hell, um, uh, which is called, because I had to look it up, Minoros. Minerus? Minoros. Minoros. Thank you. Um, so you have your um, interpolitical combat and, and, and subterfuge and all of that loveliness happening with your character as Fiona is trying to set up uh, Mammon for failure and you are slowly gathering these items to accomplish that goal so that she can break off from her father who is a co-lead of their realm and she could take over Mineros for herself and slowly make her way closer up or however that goes, right? So, Sorry, who's the co-lead? Uh, her dad. <clears throat> Whose dad? Uh, Fiona's. Who's her dad? Belial. Belial. So, interesting note, Belial and Fierna are not related, except sometimes they are and sometimes they're not. They're also lovers and they're enemies and they work together, but they hate each other. They will not interact with each other, but they rely on each other. Um, no one knows why there's a weird parental vibes or sibling vibes or lover vibes between the very land Because characters. devils... Oh, yeah, but those two specifically are... Um, and also, devils don't really have genders. Yeah. So that's weird and fluid as well between the two of them. They got a weird dichotomy, and I really like them cool. for that. So Interesting. Yeah, so that could be another interesting thing. Hell, Belial could be secretly a member of the party. Or make Belial the big bad evil guy. Well, they're against demons specifically. Right? Yeah, okay. She said that. I think there's an opportunity here um, where... There's, there's a couple of things that need to be remembered. So if this is an opportunity where you can have a patron who's very involved um, uh, with the, with this PC, where they can interact with them often, but what's 
should also be noted is this arch devil, right? This art, this archduke um, does not have to explain their agenda or their motives or what they want to do through this PC, but they can just request it forcefully to happen. And you kind of can do this with two story arcs. You can have the the on stage sort of story arc, which involves as all D and D campaigns, the politics and the agendas of humanoids usually going on above the surface. But then you can also have this off stage blood war story arc going on that perhaps the characters are not aware of. And so if you think of what ultimately the end point for that offstage story arc, you can then start to drop plot points along the way that might not make sense to the party at the time. So for example, they can have something that they need to achieve for their story arc that they think is happening. And then all of a sudden the voice comes in the head of, of set these people free or I need you to be over here right now to go. But now is not the good time. Right. And then while it may be frustrating for the players at the time, Make sure that you're linking it back in later on. This person needed to stay alive because we needed them here for this point. And that's going to create an, an interesting um, campaign for those players because everything that seems so strange that they don't understand is happening at the time ultimately loops back in later on. You see, I do that shit all the time in my campaign. Right. So I say, I know, for example, that I want Dan to be um, Dan's character to be uh, turned into a vampire at the end of it. So I need him to do a handful of things to go down that road. I know that I have to have vampires as a major factor in it. So I work my way backwards. I know what I'm doing in session, you know, in the final session. And I will work the plot points backwards. And anytime that they go off script, I say, okay, fine, I missed that one. But now I can add another one in to get them back onto my path. Right. Right. So it's it's easy to plot that out ahead of time and say, oh, no, you needed to do this. And you look like a genius because they're going through it from the from the ground up going, Wow, look at all the stuff and how it all tied together well. And you're like, yeah, but I mean, it needed to to get here, mm -hmm. right? And so you look really smart by kind of plotting it out in reverse. Yeah. Um, before we move on any further, though, we're halfway through this episode. I just want to remind everybody that you can submit your own mailbag questions to us either through r slash it's a mimic. Uh, which is where uh, fuck off it's a throwaway was. Um, <laughs> That's fucking name. We also get a lot of questions through Instagram and Facebook, and we're starting to get them in through the YouTube comments as well, which is kind of fun. And of course, you can always email us at info at itsamimic.com. So who's up next? I think that is. I think Dan. it's me. Yeah, I am going to roll on the red table. Uh, no, I'm going to roll white. I haven't rolled a white one yet. Natural 20 on the white. Natural 20? We had it already. Good lord. 11. 11. On the white table. Sure. Matty Yangu. Matty Yangu? <laughs> I think Adam sometimes makes up these names just to bother us. Asks, no, he's a dude. I talk to him on a regular basis. Matty Yangu. Okay. Uh, asks, if you could create your own class or subclass that doesn't exist in 5e, what would it be? What would it be? I would love a... Um, I need another constitution-based class. We have barbarians and that's it. Sorcerers. So, Sorcerers are con-based. Con, well, they have a con save. They're not con-based. That, that's Their that, proficiency in con. Yeah, they get proficiency in, in... Yeah, they get the con save proficiency, but none of their mechanics are based off of You don't think con. that concentration counts? Concentration is a key thing for sorcerers who are going to be in the mix and up front fighting. Way yeah, more than no, no. I, 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 that, that, that's not like a direct... Uh, channel to me like that's not that's not that's not quite what i meant like we finally got another int class with artificers and and they are vastly overpowered um but i i we have fighters and barbarians who are strength we we have everything which is a dex class um short of wizards i guess um and then you have you know 
the litany of charisma classes and all of your divine and a couple, unquote, couple of wisdom casters. wisdom casters right i'd I'd love to see a um maybe a con wisdom class then right what would that look like though um honestly i it would look a little bit more like a pugilist the, yeah uh, not necessarily a monk um i but like a a brawler a brawler type character um i don't know i i'm i've been diving recently into spellcasters i've played martial guys a lot i haven't played a lot of spellcasters so i and i keep on saying i want to see this game incorporate hit dice into more mechanics so i'd want a i don't know a, a blood caster of some kind someone that pulls on their own vitality to empower their abilities and their spells nice that's off the top of my head Terry, you got anything for that one? Um, I want a uh, I want a politician type bard, um, somebody that can create uh, some sort of like like usually think I can imagine like somebody stood on a box in the park and kind of either rallying people up or changing people's minds with, their, glamour with their words. No, that, that's eloquence. That's the eloquence, college of eloquence, isn't it? No, glamour would fit like the no, mass but, groups of people. But that's only one part of it because I also want like word is bond type. If we do this on a handshake, that's like a. Uh, some sort of ability based on that, you know. For sure, you just made a warlock. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, from the, yeah, I just I just made a patron. That's what I've done. But I mean, like, um, as in that that's an ability they could do. So it's it's kind of like use, using your words as a bard, but not necessarily singing. Fair enough. Okay, so I it's funny. I had a I wrote a message to somebody about this like three days ago, um, and I came up with ones that have that are missing from previous editions that I want to see. I want to see the martial class as a warlord. Yes. And yeah. I would take the battle master as a general <laughs> overview and I would turn that into a warlord and then the different subclasses would be the different battle master maneuvers they get. So your superiority dice are actual class mechanics. Okay. Um, that would increase over time and so on and so forth instead of relying on the subclass features for it. So I would pull that right out of um, fighter and I would make it its own thing. Uh, I'm also a big fan of pulling Swashbuckler out and making Swashbuckler its own thing because you've got all sorts of different kinds. You can do anything from Robin Hood through to Jack Sparrow. Yeah. Right? Like there are different kinds of Swashbuckling that you can get into. Um, and you'll get a lot of duelists and uh, taunting and whatnot. And you could have well. Musketeers as well. And then you have a class other than a Artificer that can use a gun. Yep. And I also want to see uh, a proper Witch. Yes, yeah. Right, that's going to be weird hag magic more oh, than... I would love to play that character. And, yeah, and you go, you could go from hag to oracle with that level of thing, right? Yeah, like, I would keep it an arcane caster oh, yeah, as yeah. opposed to a divine caster. Um, but I, I want a witch that is going to not necessarily be that half-fighty like a, like a warlock is. Um, and not necessarily um, uh, as reliant upon spells as a wizard is so there would be you know how artificers have infusions uh, or uh not infusions warlocks have invocations yeah or they have what what do they have what do the artificers have infusions is it infusions i was right on that um they've got these special mechanics and there's the meta magic as well yeah witches would have something i would call them hexes but now we're crot we're doubling up on that yeah. word but there would be something curses and i would lean into the curse side of things a little more they'd be a buff debuff even more so than than bards would necessarily so um and give you access to things that the divine casters usually have like they can divine casters can tend to see into the future and they can commune and they get ideas of higher powers whatnot but a witch would be able to do a lot of similar things with a different flavor yeah so 
um, your spellcasting focus would be a cauldron or a broom. Or, so, like, <laughs> I would really lean into the classic yeah. witch, but then I would make it medieval. Like, where did those stereotypes come from? And the idea of an actual freaking cauldron. It, it's like a druid bard. Yeah, right. And, druid and bard like, warlock. So that's that's what I would add. And cool. you get into different kinds of witches, too. You, I can picture there's a shadow witch and an elemental witch and a different, like, you, you get different flavors for that. Yeah, shit. Cool. that would be great. That really would be great. I did have, like, two days to think about that, though, and write a response, so I kind of... Cool. That's me. I'll go red table. Eleven. Eleven. We're rolling a lot of elevens. This one is also from Matty Yangu. Oh, yeah? Yep. He asks, have you ever used time skips in your campaign before? I think anime can both do it well and do it awful. I would love to hear what you... I would love to hear if you had used them before and whether they work well to keep players going or do they make it disjointed? Time skips. Yeah, for me, this is something that can be very... I have not used them, but I think it's something that can be very effective, but you're just taking on a lot as a DM, and I think you're taking on more than you realize. So if this is an idea, remember, you don't have to execute on every idea that you have. You know, you can have an idea and then realize that it won't work. So if you're going to use time skips, you have to you have to think about whether or not the juice is going to be worth the squeeze on this. Because there's going to be pushback. There's going to be people that don't understand it around the table. They're going to you're risking people losing track of what's going on or, or, or getting bored. And are you willing to risk all of that for the reward that's going to come for it? And if you don't think it's worth it, I would say don't do it. But if you found a way to be quite effective with it uh, and it's easy for people to follow along with, um, then go for it. But for me, I probably wouldn't take it on because I think it's uh, it just won't be worth the reward for me. Um, I mean, time spot, time stop is a spell, so there is a codified skipping of time that is allowed in the game. But in terms of time stops, we've done it really successfully with uh, going between campaigns and being like, it's been X amount of months since the last campaign, right? Traditionally speaking, if I'm going to do a time jump, I will do it between campaigns. Yeah. Even if you use the same characters, have it three years later and then have session one be one of the characters rallying the rest. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But going on a tour of the. You've other also characters. gone back in time. Yeah. I, 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 which was a nightmare. Uh, it was almost a nightmare. Um, so I've done time skips three ways. <laughs> uh, I did past, present, and future. So it, the future is like we talked about where I um, jumped forward for, to the next campaign 17 years later, right? And you, we get to see how the world has turned into a shittier place since the last campaign. Yeah. Um, then I actually sent my characters back in time, but they didn't necessarily know it at first. The only way I was able to do this was to also put them at a different um, geographical location far away so that they weren't interacting with themselves. And when they finally got home again, they got home on the same day that their characters had left as well. Right. And so one of the players looked at me and said, oh, can I go tell him not to do this? And I'm like, no, because he didn't know. I had to like put that in. <laughs> what what kind of time travel do you believe here? Is it all predestined loop or are we multiverse? Can you change the past? Is are this... we going to start slowly losing our body while playing Johnny Be Good? Right. Or is this Avengers rules where ah, I don't think about it. It'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, it's only really okay if the Avengers do it. Yeah. So it's America's ass. <laughs> so, um, so like there were a lot of these um, concerns that I had. So when he said, can I go talk to him? I said, yeah, absolutely. You can knowing in my mind that there's no way I'm going to let him. So he got halfway through the town 
And then NPCs started just come out of the woodwork. You're back. Wait, hey, wait a minute. Didn't you just leave? And like they and they fucked. Remember, Jamie was trying to catch up yeah. uh, with you guys as you were leaving, and and I just wouldn't freaking let him. Uh, and then you guys got to the elevator to go up the cliffside to get, and like the elevator's broken, the donkey wheel broke for no reason. There's no plot there. That is just a speed. I need you to waste another the, 25 minutes. That bullshit <laughs> Pokemon logic. If you just step to the side, I can get down the pathway. Yeah. No, I have to stand here. Um, <laughs> the other time skip I did was uh, honestly um, my favorite one, which took place in the present. So I had um, a series of different uh, gems in a campaign, which I thought was a lot of fun because I was inspired by the Infinity Stones back from my comic days before the Infinity Stones became a real popular thing in pop culture. And I gave Dan one that was a time stone. And he kind of knew this. He had a rune oh, yeah. on yeah. his arm that was the rune for time, and he had a specific stone for it too, a relic. And so what he did is he cut his arm open and put the stone in the rune for some stupid reason, which dislodged him from time. And every time that he took any amount of damage... I would roll, and he may or may not get displaced from time. So there was one combat in particular where I think you and the monk were out of town that for that session. Um, it was right after Castle Yim got destroyed. You guys right. were dragged off unconscious. And so um, Dan and who else was there? It was me, Jess, Jess and Jamie. And Jamie yeah. So we, we had Dan, the, the paladin, and then... Um, and then a ranger and a barbarian trying to rescue these these kidnapped um, player characters. And they, they all the bad guys had magic missile. <laughs> so they just kept hitting Dan. And he would just go, whoa, whoa, whoa. He just, oh, you get hit. You take a roll dice. And I'm like, ah, you take seven damage. And you disappear. What? Oh, yeah. You appear in the basement. You can see over there. There's a flickering candle and shadows running. And then you disappear. And you're back on the stairs again the next round. What the fuck was that? And then later in the basement... And you can see your shadows running by as you guys are yeah. are running up the stairs. Oh, and you cast shadows on the wall and someone in the darkness can see you. And like I really did play with that, but it all had to be contained in the same session. Right. And I had to make it very vague so that I could catch up. And I'm taking furious notes the whole time. And Dan, you turned me I, up. Oh, I was, I was so mad. <laughs> yeah, well, you, were, you turned me up and was like, I don't know how you did that. I don't know what happened. I don't want to do it anymore. I'm like, stop. Putting relics in your own body, <laughs> Daniel. So, so in my defense, that character was... I, I was playing him as the guy who just wanted it's to... It's not a Benoit gem. Calm down. Jesus. Never mind. About three people will laugh at that. <laughs> okay. And you're all perverts. <laughs> so, uh, my character was the one who wanted to, like, know everything about all the text and this weird language that we were finding everywhere. And you said uh, he finally defined what that finally defined what that rune was on his arm and i knew i had the time gem and i'm like well if that's the time rune and the time gem they must go together well, you, you put, so you i spent three it. weeks three weeks of mid content time like just rubbing this gem on my arm seeing if something would happen thinking about it really hard trying to cast spells She's on sending it sending me messages on like noon on a wednesday going okay so i touched the gem to my arm congrats <laughs> yeah. All right, so I lick the gem. Congrats! Like, what else? Did you do I tried so many things, and oh, then I was like, I have, I clearly have no other options here. There isn't a litany of NPCs I could ask about this. What I'm going to do is You're I'm not going literally to in a library right, right now. that moment. No, what I'm going to do is I'm going to, you know, 
cut my arm open and put in the gem and see what happens. And Adam went, okay, Dan, there comes a point in every DM's life where he has to say, are you sure? And let me tell you, when a DM says, are you sure? He means don't do it. (laughs) So Dan, are you sure? And 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 I went, yes. I got three letters. It was, yep. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck. All right, here we go. (laughs) Next week's going to be bullshit. (laughs) All right. Oh, man. Adam, it's you. <laughs> it's me. Okay. I'm going to roll on the black table. Sure. Uh, five. Five. The Riff Raff asks, 3D aerial combat. Is it a thing? Is it a thing that you have all tried and thought on? And is it a nightmare as a player and DM? Is it a thing? Yes, it's a thing. Is it a thing that I've tried? Yes, it's a thing that I've tried. Is it a nightmare? Only if you're playing on a grid. If you're doing theater of the mind, it's entirely manageable. Yep. But you no longer have the ground as a fixed point or a, an axis or I guess axes because there's two on the ground um, to orient yourself. So every single round, what you have to do is say, okay, you are 40 feet above the ground, 20 feet above the top of the trees. And the angel you are chasing is roughly 25 feet up and to the left of you. You can reach them on your turn and you are both within spellcasting distance of each other. The rest of the party is on the ground, except for the monk who is in the trees about 10 feet below you, uh, who is in the middle of falling down into the trees. What would you like to do? There's so much narration that happens, not just per round, but per turn, Mm -hmm. to make sure that everybody understands what's happening. And you will get players that just stop and say, okay, so if I understand, I am... 40 feet above the ground, 20 feet above the trees. The rest of the party's on the ground except for the monk who's in free fall, 10 feet above the trees, and the angel is up and to the left, 25 feet away. I can reach them, but we're within spellcasting distance. How long? And I have 30 feet of rope, but I've made a lasso. How much does that take up? Right, And you start to get weird and, and finicky with it. Right? Yeah. And it's fine. But the moment you get into 3D aerial combat, it's the same thing with, with underwater. Underwater, yeah. Right? The moment you're in a 3D environment, it's... It slows everything down. It can be really interesting and really cinematic, but it does slow the rounds down. I have a lot of experience with this, and um, there's there's a couple tips I would have. One, um, I am running off the assumption that this is a combat that started on just a ground plane and has then incorporated aerial combat in some way, shape, or form. You have a grid in front of you. Here's how I do it. As a DM, I am not going to tell you the positioning of absolutely everyone. Um, A little bit of theater in the mind is going to be injected at this point where the players not only have to pay attention, and I'm not going to be re-describing the scenario every single round, every single player turn. Um, I'm going to be relying on the players to ask leading questions. This is the, am I going to be able to reach that guy with this spell? And if I say no, then it's a no. Right. There isn't I'm not I'm not spending the time to do Pythagoras to see if you actually are within 30 feet. No, man. I said no. It's a no. Right. Can I fly down and get to them? Sure. Then it's a sure. Right. But it will take up three quarters of your movement or right. And I'll just throw out these things to try to help explain that. And then what is key? And I I do this for any sort of complicated combat, whether it is aerial combat, underwater combat, um, siege combat with many, many creatures or uh, <laughs> siege combat with many, many players. I've done this with 
up to nine players at a table is at the start of every single round, do a little summary of what's going on. Here's where all the major players are. That is when I'm going to do the summary. Then for that round, players just need to pay attention, right? And when you have nine players at a table, I mean, you've got to juggle your turns quick. And if you take too long, I'm skipping you because you didn't, you weren't paying attention. I that but, is absolutely the opposite of how I would run that. A, I never skip a player's turn. I'm not going to punish a character because a player was had to answer a phone. No, no, no. I, if there is good reason, sure. But if we are just sitting at the table and and like you are four people down the line, and then you ask for, well, what did the person directly before me do? I mean, buddy, just try to pay attention, right? Yeah, but I find that a lot of the times the players are just asking for clarification, mm. right? And and just because I have a clear picture in my head doesn't necessarily mean that I described it in a way that nine different people can understand based off of two sentences. I'm not saying. Like, I'm saying that big lump, the description you were saying that you do every single turn, Yep, I, I do once at the beginning of the round. And then as that evolves, I'm expecting my players to keep up a little bit. And if they forget and they need to ask that clarifying questions, then they're going to ask that leading question. But I'm not going to, like, describe what the goblin on the ground is doing if it has no purpose to what the monk who is flying through the air is wanting to do on that turn. Right? Like, I, I've, I, I'm relying as a DM on my players leading questions to make that combat go quick because otherwise it gets bogged down and it takes forever see i okay i still dan i gotta i gotta disagree i would just run it differently i would describe it every single turn first of all i wouldn't dm for nine players <laughs> that's insane and that's part of the problem but but i, second I won't of all, do it again <laughs> yeah, but second of all i don't think that it is reasonable especially with nine people i don't expect this to be reasonable for four people to have whoever goes first and whoever goes last to have the same scenario that has been set up and for the person who goes last to understand what the druid spell that did exactly what, how does entangle work in midair, right? And so sure, you and the druid sit there and talk it out in the first turn of this round and you hash out about three or four different options and you say, okay, we're going to do this one. And then the monk three turns later says, all right, hold on. What was the entangle thing again, right? That is a totally reasonable question. And I can bypass that and the discussion and reintroducing the druid into that conversation just by re-describing it quickly and making sure that I have eye contact with each person. This also kind of frees up everybody else in a long round to be like, okay, you know what? Um, Dan, it's your turn. Terry, you're up next. Brad and Dave can go off and do their own thing. I'm going to make eye contact with Dan and explain everything. I'm going to keep glancing over Terry, make sure he's listening. Right. And so through my own body language and through my own... I don't want to say charisma. My ability to, to, to capture the attention of the people in the room. I'm going to um, try to keep this as clear as possible. If I have everyone's attention, I'm not going to say it over and over again. Yeah, that's... that's that's. But I, but I honestly think we're saying close to the same thing. But I like, won't punish someone for not knowing. When I say I skip that player's turn, I mean, like, we'll get back to them if, if it's going to require, you know, five minutes of exposition of what just happened right like i we need to keep that combat moving i just try to keep i just try to keep meta shit out of the game like we rolled initiative to get you in order and just because you had to respond to your boyfriend at the table Mm -hmm. right or someone else was over talking hey can you pass me the chips and you miss something like i'm not going to penalize you for that i'm not going to knock you out of initiative order right Uh, um, again 
But with nine people, that's insane. And I don't see that you have much of a choice. Right, yeah. Right? So, but I just wouldn't run for more than five. Okay. That's just me. Terry, how do you mm. handle? Yeah, I think if uh, if this is intimidating for people, you can, I think there is probably a couple of tools you can come up with that just simplifies it. Like, if you do just want to stick with the grid system because you have a, a group of people that will enjoy that, yeah, you can always try this tool of... Um, behind the DM screen, even if it's just using pins or something, you can still use that 2D grid that's in front of you. But if you have a quick method of adjusting height on your side, so we use pennies, right? I've I've also used like a D6 or a D10, and that is how many squares I go with the fourth edition squares. Well, what I'm leaning I towards like is more like uh, just like basically like you would have like a strip, and each square represents height here. But if I know that the red pin is down and the blue pin is added, then I can just even where you're moving on the 2D map, if you go up. I can just move you, okay, you're 25 feet high now. And then it's just a visual for me here as the DM to still incorporate the, that tool that you're saying, Adam, where you still need to describe things to people so that they understand. But I have a quick system to adjust height based um, on this 2D map that I have in front yeah. of me. Cool. Yeah, the other thing I got to say, sorry, the other thing about repeating it over and over and over again is I know that I have it clear and I haven't forgotten that fucking familiar yeah. For the last three rounds, because I'm saying the same thing every round. Oh, I always to, forget the familiar. Yeah, did, did I get that person? I get that person. Okay, that person. <laughs> Mount ran away. The, the goblin's over there masturbating under the tree. He doesn't count. So I'm not going to include him. I'll, I'll mention him may, maybe for maybe, maybe for Terry's character, because Terry cares about the Ooh, masturbating goblin. Sure. But nobody else cares. So I'm so like, and I will also tailor make it to some people as well. Like, uh, for example, hey, uh, you have cast fly. It's going to uh, require concentration and gust of wind like they, they just cast gusts so you're gonna have to try to keep that shit up too right yeah like, so yeah. there's different things i like repeating it because it keeps it fresh in my brain i will forget shit yeah sure that was no i rolled that so yeah so it's my turn um i'm gonna go with red red two colton underscore adrian asks what should you do as a player when you feel like a secondary character oh I feel like there's a specific situation here that we didn't get details on. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it depends on the details. I legit made a character that was intended to be a secondary character. It's so funny. You did that with Rezu. I did that with Vargas um, because I was the only experienced, like the most experienced person at, yeah. the, at the table. And Terry is talking about doing that in a Call of Cthulhu character. He's just going to be a, a valet. And he's just gonna just drive people around, right? That was that's yeah. That's good. Me. Yeah, like I've, I'll let Dan give his answer in a second. But yeah, that would be my example. Is I I want to lean into the idea of being a secondary character. What about if your character literally their job was to take instructions from another character? Like that would it, I've played bodyguard. That's what Vargas ended up yeah. doing for Boar, right? Like I, I love that idea. But Dan, go on. It's your it's your question. Well, it's I'm assuming by the question that. You are a secondary character, not by choice. Yeah, you don't want to. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You don't want to be that secondary character. And that is going to happen for one of two reasons. Either you are being uh, overshadowed by another player at the table, or you are being um, under-referenced by the DM. Um, I guess there's a third way, and that's just you're playing them as being that secondary character. So try being a bit more assertive for that third one. But if you're being uh, over, uh, sorry, outperformed, I guess, by another player, talk to them, right? This is one of those things where it's like, hey man, like you are running the table. This isn't, you're not the primary 
you're not the main protagonist of the story. We are all co-protagonists of the story. We said that in one of our storylines episodes yeah. about uh, you need to think about the party as being the main character, not the characters mm-hmm. being co-main characters. The party works as a team. So, I mean, have some patience if your storyline isn't the one that is being focused on, and that is completely okay. But have some patience to uh, get through that and then maybe have your goals go in. Be more assertive with your character for their goals and their dreams, but make sure they align with the parties, right? And that isn't, you know, make sure the party's uh, goals align with yours. That is make sure your goals align with the parties. You can't control other people. You can't control other people. There's no there's no chance for you to do that. And ultimately, we're playing a game where we are all sitting around the table telling a story together. And if you are feeling like a secondary character, then it's kind of on you to talk to the people you need to talk to to fix it or change your character's goals so that you can change it yourself. Yeah. To a point, though. To a point. Yeah, I straight up quit a campaign, and it wasn't just me. We had three of the four players quit because the DM was dating the player that was getting all of the magic items, all of the attention. Yes. They got more experience than anything else. Uh, they didn't land a hit on a single character, but their heart was in the right place, so they got all the experience and nobody else gets any. Shut the fuck Is that is the whole DM's girlfriend thing? Is that still a thing? It That's feels like absolutely. It, moved on it is absolutely still a thing. Oh, and when God. I said... Why does she get all of these magic items and all of these boons and everything else? And we've been getting just fucked for the last three sessions in a row. He looked me square in the eye and went, nepotism? Like it was a joke. And then we never came back. And he asked repeatedly, why? Why? What's going on? How come we're not playing anymore? Why? Oh, scheduling issues, my friend. That's what it is. I'm not I'm not putting up with that shit. No. Um, if I call you out, if it's gotten to the point where I've called you out, then chances are good. I've spoken to you in private at least once. Yeah. And I know that others have as well. And if this is still a problem, this is not a DM I want to play with. If it's a character thing, like, hey, like you were saying, Dan, there's one person who's getting the spotlight right now. Be patient. But talk to your DM and say, hey, when's my turn in the spotlight? Yeah. I'm cool with what's happening as long as what goes around comes around. And everyone should get an opportunity. If you're playing the Lost Minds of Fandelver and you spent the last eight sessions focusing on the fighter, the other four party members are not going to get the spotlight. Yeah. Yeah. Right? So you need to kind of know what the scope of the campaign is. And you need to talk to your DM and potentially the other player. Yeah. Especially if they are going to be not overshadowing, but like you said, overperforming. If they're going to be outperforming you at the table. Um, and they're just bigger and louder. And this is everything that I do. And I need to be the face. I need to be in. In, in every conversation, Terry, we had a character who uh, you were DMing and there was a character who was drawing cards from a deck of a fortune teller and another character outside the tent who literally kicked the door open and started flipping cards on someone else's turn just because it's what my character would do. Oh, screw that noise. Uh, it's just... Right. And at that point, we revolted and re- and kicked two people out of the out of the uh, campaign. Yeah. So, and reload. Re- that was shitty I was brand too. new to DMing. Yeah, you were point. brand well, new. Well, like, I'd done like a couple of one shots, but that was my first like campaign. You and know? you were, yeah. you were about, what, three, four sessions in at that point? And then we yeah, just, like, <laughs> we just pulled the recorder. We were playing at their house too. We're just like, no, fuck it. Sorry. <laughs> well, uh, work. Yeah, that was, work. that was like my, fr- I didn't even know like proper D&D etiquette at that point. I'd run a couple of one shots for a table full of noobs. Like, you know, like, and I was, it was, yeah, 
Yeah, that was my first uh, difficult situation. Yeah, I think um, uh, for my take on this is just because the question's a little bit vague and obviously we couldn't have a paragraph full of information here. Oh, some of them give you paragraphs. If you have, <laughs> um, people are people. Okay, and they're everybody's flawed, and they're going to do things. And sometimes people don't realize that they're making mistakes. They don't realize they're taking over, or they think that's what's expected. This is great. I get to come in here and do this, and everybody kind of lets it happen. I'm going to be like that guy on Critical Role. Yeah, and 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 so people don't always know. So if you have an issue, first of all, you need to understand that maybe they just don't realize. Maybe the DM doesn't realize. People are people. If if you want something, you have to know what you want, and you if you don't ask, you don't get. So you need to go to the people, like, try the DM first, maybe, I don't know the situation, if it's better to speak to that person individually, then speak to them, but you need to know what you want, and you also need to have evidence of what, that it is not happening. You can't be like, well, fuck this, this is not happening, and then when somebody just goes, give me an example, and you just go, well, you know, it fucking is always the same, and blah, blah, blah. You need to say, no, this is, for the past three sessions, this thing has been happening, and this has been not happening, and I would like some more of this. And either you get yes, okay, or you get no. But at least at that point, you know what you're working with. If it's too vague and you're not communicating anything, you don't know what you want and you're not providing any evidence of how it's not happening, it's not going to change because that's how people work. Cool. All right. Yeah. It, it's up to you to roll. I, don't, I, have, I have no response to that. You're absolutely <laughs> right. Okay, I'll go white table and I'll read myself. Question two. Up the hall. Okay, I like it. Uh, asks... What makes a good encounter at level 15 to 20? <laughs> Terry? Uh, again, it's so open. It depends on so many things. Um, what makes a good encounter? I assume they mean combat encounter, you think? or? Uh, uh, I mean, not necessarily. All right, hold on, hold on. Uh, who wants to take combat? Who wants to take environment? And who wants to take social? I'll take environment. I'll take social. All right, well, okay. Thanks, guys. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> What makes a good social encounter at level 15 to 20 is uh, very difficult decisions. Um, and remember, okay, so level 15 to 20, you're extremely powerful at this point. Okay, and with great power comes great ability to fuck people up, Dan. And so you have to be... A I bunch don't... of nerds right now are screaming at you. Fuck them. Fighting. <laughs> 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 There's a couple of questions here and here that are just like, fight me. And I'm like, come on, man, really? <laughs> Uh, I think you need uh, great challenges in that they, it may not be one-on-one social encounters. You may now have a entire town with the torches and the pitchforks coming at sure. you. Yeah. Or you may have uh, uh, some sort of two political parties that are going against each other or whatever. What I'm saying is these, uh, or you may be like an ambassador in a UN type situation. Uh, but I think as the level goes up, you need to up the responsibility that the character has so what they they oversee and you need to up the consequences and i think we're moving past one-on-one social encounters here i think it's it's going to be like a like a ripple effect of whatever you do and uh, and leaning into the the greater effect of what's going to happen okay um so for me with exploration i mean level 15 to 20 in exploration is uh encounter is going to be super difficult to do mostly because there are so many spells that circumvent what a uh exploration encounter really brings so skill challenges are going to be your way to succeed here with with a exploration um thing as well as uh puzzles and map and and riddles and anti-magic fields anti-magic fields and like there's so many things you could play on i mean I'm, I'm going to bring it up now because we harped on it on the campaign builder, dynamic encounters, right? You, you 
if you are playing a one note, this is a exploration period encounter, like just full stop exploration encounter at level 15 to 20. You're doing it wrong. Should be an exploration encounter that has some social aspects and maybe even some combat. Right. Mm. And then you mix it together. I mean, at least take two and mix them together. Yeah, but I like what you're doing at, at level 15 to 20. And I'm thinking about this for both the social and the environmental or the exploration encounters. Um, you should be on the planes, right? You should yeah. be dealing with gods and angels and high power super beings. Yeah. Right? You should yeah. be meeting your warlock patron on a semi-regular basis at this point, right? Yeah. Um, you have already outpaced some of the patrons that are listed as far as your class level goes, right? Yeah. So, I mean... You're right, Dan. If you're in the material plane, yeah, if it's just like, find the door out of the room, uh, well, fuck it, I'm just going to teleport, right? Um, but if you're trying to do that on a Feywild, it's going to be a little different. Yeah, think about your location and what consequences for, and, and how the location you're in will affect your run-of-the-mill excuses to get out of those situations. Do you think that's why we don't have a whole lot of high-level play in 5th Ed? Just as a sidebar here, is because we don't do a lot of... We have almost nothing about the planes. Even Van Richten's and the new Feywild book that's going to come out, they're all like low-level or like little demi-planes. I think it's just more... I think it's just playing to the percentage, isn't it? It's just most the most commonly played levels. I, I think you're mostly right there, but well, I also think it's... Chicken it's, of the egg, right? People it, will play at that level if, yeah. if they support it. It, right, is, yeah. it is far more difficult to plan encounters at 15 to 20 tier 4. Yeah, okay, so that brings me to fucking combat. Um, combat encounters in Tier 4 are tricky. The big problem right off the bat is the fact that your players are going to be able to just do the one or two encounters per adventuring day and get in a long rest. Which means they will always have a level 8, 9 spell prepped, right? They're always going to be able to get five attacks in if they're a fighter. Yeah. Right? They're always going to be able to rage and rage and rage and rage and rage. Key points... They have a they have a keychain of key points, right? Like they're, they're, <laughs> they're not even counting anymore. Yeah, right. Points. And so there's so much going on at these high levels that you're you're used to challenging the resource management at low levels. I don't think that you need to really think outside the box too hard, except limit their fucking rests. Yes. Make the days long, right? Instead of me chaining three or four encounters together, which will exhaust a level two party, I'm going to chain eleven together. And sure, a couple of them are going to be, like maybe the third one and the eighth one are going to be really hard. You're going to need that wish spell. You're going to need that crazy disintegrate, right? You're going to need to be able to do these crazy capstone abilities at this level. But if you do that early to disintegrate a goblin, because haha, isn't that funny? You're fucked later. Resource management, guys. Yeah. Yeah. And I think being able to justify that as well, when you get to tier four... That's when the war has started, the disaster has come, the titan is whatever. Yeah, and on top of that, you're right. I'm looking at the situation and, like Dan says, the environment. A lot of the things, a lot of the spells out there are target creature. Right. That's not a creature. You're not... I will will have a, a levitating object that is coming at you. You can't target creature on that shit. Right. You're not going to dominate that monster. That's not a monster. Right? Like, there are going to be ways to think outside the box when you look at what the spells are that are available and what they're preparing and uh, and make sure that you are challenging the resource management. Another thing that I absolutely love to do is start um, uh, limiting the magic items that, that they are going to have access to. I just stop handing them out in the middle of Tier 3. I just... Uh. Re- no, no, no. I really... You will get your one or two big ones, and then you're going to get 
this year that they're you're gonna go into town and buy your shit. Well, yeah. it, it, and, usually I find tier four is that is that wrap up the campaign tier, right? Yeah, yeah but like, everybody speeds through it in like six sessions for five levels, and I'm like, we can do better than that. Oh, I, I completely agree. I think the thing we have all kind of hit, um, and I think it needs to be reiterated a little bit here is. When you are planning these encounters, be they social, environments, combat, doesn't matter. Think about consequence. What happens at the end of this encounter, right? Whether your party is successful or not, there should be no inconsequential encounters in Tier 4. I also give you the odd random encounter here or there, but but there'll be more social and environmental. There's going to be yeah. landslides as opposed to three orcs stumble upon you in the middle of the night. Exactly, right? yeah. Um, I And I would... But also, that's not happening at that point. When you're getting towards that superhero status... The you know, orcs are going to look at you and be like, fuck no. But, but just, yeah. <laughs> He's got how many gems floating around his head? No. Yeah. I'm out. But also, you're, you're like like superhero slash celebrity status as well. And nobody's just running up to Justin Bieber. Like he's, you're, you're, you're living your life differently at that point, I feel like. You're not, you're not just wandering down the road anymore and, oh, God, thugs, we didn't see them coming. Yeah. Yeah, that's another good point is your your enemies are going to be smarter and they're going to manipulate things better. You are not going to just go talk to the shopkeep. Yeah, exactly. The, the shopkeep may present as a shopkeep, but it's actually an Oblex. Or this is uh, my uh, mind-wiped, brainwashed thrall of a mind flayer who's got arcane eye in the corner watching what you're doing. The bad guys are scrying all the time. Tier 4 is my favorite as a DM because I can pull the fucking kid gloves off. I am plotting my world against you. Mm. It is your job to goddamn survive now, right? Yeah, tier one is deadly, sure. Tier four is deadlier, guys. Tier four is just, sure, we are going to have a wizard's battle above a volcano. Brilliant. Not, a, not on the rim of a volcano, floating above in the air. We both cast fly, and my guy has, uh, has counterspell, and he's got um, an anti-magic field. And he's going to reverse gravity. And uh, you will burn, motherfucker. By the end, there's not a damn thing you can do. We're going into the Mornland uh, in Eberron. So you've got to deal with spells. The the husk zombie uh, cloud is going to come through. There's mm-hmm. living spells that are walking around. We're going to fuck shit up because we can get crazy. Hey, you know what? Slod! Have some slod. They're all low CR, but that just means that you can fight 15 of them. And they will just infect you every single time they touch you. And you will now have tadpoles growing in your body that are going to rip you open in two or three rounds. So, Great. So deal with that shit. Yep. Guys, time out from combat. You guys take care of this. I got to duck behind the barrel here, take my knife out, do 1d4 damage as I dig this fucking tadpole out of my shoulder. Ugh. Right? Like, that is, that's my tier four stuff. You got to think outside of the stat block and the hit points at mm-hmm. that point, right? Um, it's my turn to roll. So, white table. 18. White 18 says, um, King of Rot. Oh, my God. From Reddit. How do you feel metal. with... I like it. Huh? Metal. It is, yeah. How do you feel... Sorry. How do you deal with players that have a regeneration factor? Ugh. Uh, I give my players a legendary item way too soon, and now I have to deal with <laughs> 1d6 <laughs> HP per turn uh, from Ooh. the DMG 219. Uh, I mean, you, you kind don't. of don't just fucking yeah. Don't. don't give them the item. Take the item away. That's Take how you the deal item with it. Yeah, fuck it. I've I've had this rant before, but uh, items can be given. Items can be 
taketh away. Yeah. Taketh away. Um, I, I, or, or if you want to make it uh, real fun, have it be a cursed item that slowly awakens. So as your party's leveling up and they're getting more and more used to this thing, mm-hmm. start giving them a negative consequence. Yeah. Right? Have the items start talking to them. Something this legendary probably has a will to it. Even if it doesn't explicitly say it in the DMG, like give it a will. And it's going to start pushing your character. And and like we said with the last question, consequence is important. Have some consequences for having this massively powerful item constantly refilling you. You get 1d6 hit points a turn. Like every single time you go 1d6 hit points. Sure, you are not going to be dying in combat yeah. very much. But uh, do Does it you, trigger when you're unconscious? Uh, do you, if you are at max hit points, do you blow up like a tick? And just get more and more engorged if you have this thing on you as it fills you with bl- literal vitality and Oh, blood. like a tick. My, my engorged... Tick. Oh, Tick okay. with a All T. Right. Gotcha. I'm looking this up now. It, I it think as, as well, th- this is something that I think is overlooked in D&D. When you're one of these PCs walking around and you have these crazy magic items that the mundane folk think are incredible. If you had an item that gave you the ability to regenerate, you would become very famous very quickly. Yeah. And you would be, hey, that's the guy that's got the thing. And and remember, everybody will want that. Everybody. Yep. And Ma- everybody has the right agenda. The, 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 the government, the church, everybody will want it for different reasons. So here's the thing. It's an artifact, um, and there's a property here, D100 table, which is broken up into eight sections. This one is, while attuned to the artifact... You regain 1d6 hit points at the start of your turn if you have at least one hit point. I've got a fun thing. I'm going to uh, steal the artifact from you, and I'm going to run away with it. And it's going to be tied to you, and you're still attuned, so you will still gain that. And that is okay, because now whoever has it knows where you are all of the time. I'm going to come up with a non-mechanical... Go fuck yourself. Oh, but. so it will still be attuned to the person. Right, right. Right. Yeah. So so whoever steals it is not going to attune to it. They're going to use it to follow you on a map. You, I'm going to give you a million reasons why you want to unattune from it. Yes. Yeah. No, and, and I'm, I'm with you on that one. Yeah. Right? I, I mean, there's also the... You, you kind of handed yourself a shit situation here. <laughs> I mean, I know that the, you roll randomly on the table and... I don't like the DMG magic items. I just don't like them. I think they're either completely useless or way overpowered, and there's very little in between. Yeah. Um, and besides, you have an entire list of spells. Put that on an object and hand it out. Yeah. With a nu- limited number of uses. You don't need to get crazier than that. You can. Go nuts. But you don't need to. Stop rolling randomly, especially in front of your players. <laughs> Roll randomly before the session. Write out the options and then in the moment, make a choice, say, oh, well, not the first one. Fuck that noise. Uh, the second one. I'm going to hand out the second one here. That's yeah. what they're going to get now. Fair enough. Right? Yeah. All right, my turn. I'm going to roll red. Red eight. Jackie underscore Rackham. Hey, Rackham. In a while. Um, asks if any of us have had a moment in game where, as a DM, you've regretted your choice of music. Or as a player, if music has significantly affected a choice you've made. Oh, um, I mean, I like to play music when I DM. I like to have that uh, um, backing track go. Uh, the only time it's ever been something I straight up regret is when I, it, it's not the music itself. It's the medium. It's the incredibly tense battle music or emotional um, social encounter music. And it's a YouTube video. Ugh. So like... 
10 minutes in, you get the, you know. There's great stuff on Spotify. I just Yeah, Spotify great, yeah but even Spotify would be like, hey, sign up for Spotify. You're in the middle and it's like, oh, yeah, yeah. it's 10 decibels higher than the rest of the track. So you're like, you're having this moment and then it breaks your suspension of disbelief. I, yeah, I, that's where it is. Um, I've played at a lot of tables that just don't have music, that don't have that as well as a player. And um, I've also played at tables where music straight up isn't allowed because it's too distracting to people. That's me. I won't play with music live. Yeah. So uh, if you're going to go into it, play, uh, choose music that is intentionally ambient. Mm-hmm. Like have it be something that isn't this big rousing. Don't play top 40. Don't play top 40, oh, right? right? Don't have lyrics, right? Um, yeah, if, I think it's the lyrics that it's the lyrics that do it, right? Yeah. It, it, that's what will distract you. Um, or you see this, Adam, you don't like Critical Role, so you don't uh know this but they have this one battle track that keeps on coming up that has like this trill line in it that even the players when they're playing reference when they're when they're going to like Mm -hmm. and it destroys me every single time i i hear it because it pulls me from the combat avoid things that are catching you want them to be ambient it's like okay so to break the fourth wall a little bit on this when we were doing um the mob episodes for Terry's Green Dragon oh, in. Yep. And I, I listened to it. I, I got this free music, um, the bar noises, right? And so I'm like, all right, Dan, use this track. And I didn't I didn't listen to all of it. It was two hours long or four hours long or something. It was, it was something, yeah. And so I'm just like, skip around, skip around, skip around. I checked six different places. It's fine. I don't care. I hand it off to Dan. Dan puts it in. And sure enough, it's got fucking green sleeves. It's got Christmas music in the background of it. And and it lasted I started getting messages from people. Um the guy who plays Jed sent me messages like uh uh I ended up having to got into like two episodes, right? And then we found it and we Well no, it it still would like I would because Terry's clips were often like we'd say, okay, we need Seven to ten minutes. Terry would send us a thirteen-minute clip, and we'd be like, "What goddamn it, Terry?" Sorry. <laughs> not, no, 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 not the worst. That was that. not the worst for it. I'm not criticizing you at all. Megan. But like, there was. <laughs> How long were Megan's? Oh, oh like eighteen fucking minutes, and I'm sitting Megan. there cutting out but, swaths. Uh, because it was on a loop. It was four-hour-long track, but it was on like a seven-minute loop. So every seven minutes, Fleur de Lis would come in. So if your tracks were over seven minutes, I had to go through and listen to the entire thing to try really? to get it. Oh, yeah. It was a nightmare. The thing and people don't know. <laughs> there are some times I just went, screw it. Fleur de Lise is in this one. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and, and people wonder why we're not doing Call of Cthulhu right now. It's because we're beating our heads against the wall to take a Christmas music yeah. in the background of bar scenes. I'm like, ah. Oh. There's so much that goes into the editing. Who rolled that nonsense? I, that, was that, was that was me. I don't oh, have anything to add. I don't mind ambient music. I don't mind ambient music. Nothing with lyrics for me. I like so sometimes things work out nicely. It was your campaign, Adam, where we heard like the creepy baby sounds in the ambient oh music. Oh my god, that at, was like so the good. perfect time. And we were like, what the fuck? How does that even happen? Yeah. 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 We were playing at, at your place, Terry. And yeah. then we, we came over here and I just thought like no music. Dan is going to have 15 freaking playlists queued up, and I can't handle it. I legit have about 30 of them. Yeah, but, but that's another. That's the other thing. That's why I don't like music at my table is because every once in a while there'll be that person that's like, I know this track, and now they're not listening because they're grooving. Yeah. And I'm like, you need to just freaking not. You yeah. need to, we just need background sound effects. Yeah. What do you think of just the ambient, like if it's like the just the light the crickets in, or, the, yeah. in, the, in the cave or something? Or yeah, something. I mean, that's why I would say if you're going to have quote-unquote music – 
focus on more the ambient than the uh, instrumental. Yeah. Right? Like, have cave sound effects rather than, you know, some ethereal tinkling music. Yeah. And I will say this as well. If you're doing a podcast, do not do the music live. Put the music in afterwards. Yeah. Because you cannot edit around that shit. <laughs> oh, Deep Dark of Radiance almost had live music in it. And Dan and I went, this will be great. Way Wait. off fucking. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, All right. So that was me, Terry. You're up, Terry. Me? I'll do uh, Black Table this time. All right. 11. Black, Black 11. 11. You, ha- you have rolled that one. Yeah, three I times. have. You're right. Uh, three. Black 3 says, uh, at was Nick Who's Long. Says? Yeah, okay. At Nick Long says, I just listened to the New Conditions episode. This was pretty old. This one's a, this is an old question. Like, what? I just listened to the I just listened to one of the old Conditions episodes. Sure. Uh, with regards to petrification, you said message wouldn't work because you can't move your mouth. What about sending? If someone sends a message to you through sending, could you reply? Let's pull out. Uh, the let's old pull it out. List. Yeah. God. Whip it out, Adam. Just drop it on the table. Sending. Is this a race to see if you can I literally first? opened the page to it. You did not. You son of a bitch. Well, I wasn't far off. You send a, sh- you send a short message of 25 words or less to a creature with which you are familiar. The creature hears the message in its mind, recognizes you as the sender if it knows you, and can answer in a like manner immediately. Petrified, just to go over the condition, is uh, you are... A petrified creature is transformed along with any non-magical object it is wearing or carrying into an inanimate substance, usually stone. It's no longer a creature, therefore you cannot target it. Yeah. Um, And it even says you're incapacitated and can't move or speak and is unaware of your surroundings. Uh, And then a whole bunch of stuff that happens around you. Yeah, you cannot target a petrified creature. Yeah, and even here where it says um, that you answer in a like manner, so you answer in the same way. Well, it has a verbal component to it, so yeah, systematic. Yeah, I would say no, but this 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 boils down to the discussion we had about petrified. Is are you aware? It says no. You're not. It says you're not aware of your surroundings, but are you are you conscious during it? Right? And uh, yeah, until you suffocate and die. Yeah, I guess. I mean, your lungs are stone. Well, hold on. No, fuck that. Your brain matter is stone. The electrodes that are moving back and forth between petrified wood or metal or whatever You are, for all intents and purposes, statue. Yeah, and so I'm sorry. You're not alive unless unless there's some... You know what? I'm going to petrify a character and then animate object. <laughs> oof. Oof. Yeah. Okay. That's how I'm going to get so away no. from So no. So no. Um, no, you may not, Nick. I'm doing the math on this, guys. Is that 19? Uh, that, that we've answered? Two, four. I got, I've done six. Seven. Two. No, you've done six. Six. I have seven on my table. So that's 18. Six and six and seven. 19. Is 19. Uh, so this is the last one, guys. Oh, All right. right. Uh, it's you, I'm going to roll... Uh, not red. I'm going to roll white. Six. Six. <laughs> Matianagu asks... How do you prep without getting caught in a world-building vortex? Terry? Oh, wait, no, that was you. Adam? Adam? How do you prep without getting into a world-building vortex? I listened to the first 28 episodes of the Campaign Builder, and then I learned patience. (laughs) 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 So, um, how do I prep without getting into a world-building? You don't. You just don't. You you go downhill. No, um, there are two different kinds of prep. There's your world-building prep, and there's your session prep. 
prioritize. I will build my world uh, as much as I want before session one. When session one hits, I'm doing session prep. And the only world building I'm doing will affect, in theory, the next two or three sessions. I can look big picture, but that's for when I'm driving in my car, when I'm not doing active prep. Yeah. I'm not building world maps at that point mm-hmm. unless I've got just a shit ton of spare time. But then that's not really prep. That's DM playing. Yeah. That's my answer, right? So yeah. that's why I'm like everybody always says, oh, Adam, you're the super prepper. Not really. I did I did all my shit way back before. And I'm just filling in the handful of blanks as they become necessary. And I usually build spreadsheets to make my life easier in the moment. I do the same. I, I focus on... Um... I focus on the session when I do my prep and if I think something is going to uh, come up from my prep that will affect the session um, or sorry, that won't affect the session. Like I need the name of this God blank and I haven't rolled that up already. I'll just make a little note to myself to come back to it, finish my session prep and then hit that note if I need to. If it doesn't come up until the session itself, then again, I'll make a little note to myself, hey, the God of Fire's name is Kosuth, and move on, right? And uh, I'll have these little notes that I will then collect after the fact um, to help with my world building on my own time. Yeah, for me, it sound, when you go down a vortex of any kind, it's it's usually relates to a lack of structure or direction. Because you're allowing yourself to be taken off and the fact that you can't come back from that, you've gone off in this vortex, just sounds to me like you don't have any structure. I, I work in my prep, I use OneNote to essentially create yeah, me too. module. Yeah, OneNote's fantastic. But I also use like project management tools as well. I use ClickUp, which is usually like a work tool that people use. Uh, but it's great that I have like a, a checklist and agenda of what needs to be completed at what time and then I stick to that. And then because I have the direction. So it's not possible for me to go off into a vortex because it's like okay well this is not related to this so forget about it well and that's the other thing too that we didn't talk about is the idea that we're all setting aside an allotted amount of time per week right to do our prep and for terry it's probably a couple hours for yeah. me i will set aside eight and dan gets three and a half minutes maybe oh yeah on a good day <laughs> yeah so um but you prep what you need to in that time if you have unlimited time to prep yeah you have all what is it 100 and 66 hours or 68 hours or whatever it is in a week to prep then you are damn lucky and uh you should probably go watch Outside. a movie yeah. yeah go 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 talk to human beings sometimes limit your prep because you'll prioritize when you don't have time yeah that's it for this special mailbag episode of the it's a mimic podcast where you never know what you're going to get if you have any questions you'd like answered you can check out the show notes of the episode for links to our socials or drop us an email at info at itsamimic.com. If you'd like to go back and listen to the other mailbag free-for-alls, you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, and YouTube, as well as dozens of other podcast apps. And of course, we'd be entirely grateful if you head over to itsamimic.com and support us by hitting that donate button or buying some fun merch. Not the F word I thought you were going to go with there. <laughs> buying some fucking merch. <laughs>
know what? I, I kind of feel robbed. So you guys got to answer seven. I want to answer one more. So sure. okay. I'm, I'm just going to, what one should I grab here? I know what? Red was the one that we answered the least. So red dice. Four. Four. Pepperina says, <laughs> Lord. what is in your bag of holding? What is in my bag of holding? Oh, uh, my hopes, my dreams, my will to live, <laughs> and my free time. No, no, and my free time. And one of my children took the bag of holding and hid it somewhere, and I yeah. haven't found it yet. That's dark and sad and accurate. <laughs> Terry, what's in your bag of holding? I use my bag of holding as, like, you know the good uh, plastic carry bag that you put all the other bags in? So now I just have a lot of carry bags in there. <laughs> Adam? So, like, you know, if you go to go somewhere, you go, your mom makes you wait because she's got a one with good handles at the bottom. It's like that. Me? This must be a British thing. I don't know. I think that's, be, like I, that. that's exclusively. You, you, you I don't know like, what a carrier bag is. Like uh, a purse? Like a grocery bag. Like a plastic oh, okay. grocery bag. So you just carry a grocery bag around with you everywhere? No, the fucking joke was, Dan, in my country, I thought applied everywhere. Moms <laughs> will typically have, a you know, like the good ones that are like handles yeah, 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 from yeah. T- and put all of the other oh, bags yeah. in it. Yeah, yeah. Right? And that was the joke that you fucking ruined. <laughs> <laughs> well, welcome back, Terry. I know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what? What's in your bag of holding? Get a fucking warrant. <laughs> um, I wouldn't say no, not necessarily. Sometimes I would say, you know, you're right there. <coughs> I drank down the wrong tube. <coughs> it's not a podcast with three of us. What, it, you, what, did you just take your beverage and then just go? <laughs> that was it. That's the only way that can happen. Just go back for more. Like fuck, look at this. You all right? There? I'm good. I'm good. Keep going. Thank you for listening to an It's a Mimic production. (laughs) Okay, you're done.